Welcome to the Tactics Meeting. I'm your host, Dan Smiley, and today we're going to be talking about virtual command posts and some best practices for setting these drills and exercises up that are using platforms like Teams or Zoom or WebEx, etc. It's going to be really informative, so stick around. Today on the podcast, we're lucky to have Agnita Dahl, Director of Exercises and Preparedness from NJ Resources, and we're going to be talking about virtual command posts. Agnita just gave a really well-received presentation at Clean Pacific on this topic. She has developed and facilitated several really big exercises, including the three-day polar tankers exercise in Prince William Sound that was the topic of her presentation. I think we have a number of things to learn. Virtual command posts is really the subject du jour. So, Agnita, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. So you're laughing at me. You're laughing at me already. I can see that. Yeah, okay. I see how you are. So virtual command posts. I mean, I brought you into the Washington State Maritime Cooperative exercise kind of in the last 30 days because I was going to be a participant in the drill itself and needed a facilitator. And you kind of fixed my skeleton of, uh, of an exercise. What do, you, what do you think is the most important thing about setting up these virtual exercises? And by virtual, I mean we're all sitting at home or in our office logged into some software on our computer with no one participating face-to-face. All right. Well, I would say that the most important thing would obviously be that everybody has access. There's no point in building something that people can't get into. So um, the participants would have to have good internet access and to actually get into the system itself, whatever platform you decide to use, has to be simple to log on to. It can't be so complicated that you need to have dedicated staff helping people to get access to it. It just, that's self-defeating. So simple access and rapid access, I think will be most important. Have you landed on a platform? I mean, I've done it. The very first one I did, I did in Zoom. And that was really before they had breakout rooms that were working all that well. And I did one in Adobe Connect and I did a really disastrous one in go to training and then have done some really successful exercises in teams although teams has that accessibility issue that you were talking about what's your favorite well first of all i can't have my own personal favorite because i support clients so we have to make sure we use their favorite very (laughs) diplomatic uh, of you (laughs) so um but actually Everybody I have worked with from all of my clients have all landed on the same platform, and and that has been Microsoft Teams. The access to Teams is actually uh, fairly easy, um, assuming that you type in the person's email address correctly when you add them to the team. But barring any typos, once you've been added to a team, you can join even if you don't have a subscription of your own, because you can also go web-based and participants do not have to buy any software or you know take on any personal expenses to get access to the to the platform. The Teams has worked out really well. It also gives us 
the granularity that we needed to be able to build a structure that was as similar as you could get it to a physical layout of a command post. We felt that it was very important to not build something completely new and foreign, but rather have people go into this virtual command post and and, and look at it and go, oh yeah, this makes sense. We, we keep referring to the channels as tables and uh, the meetings as conversations and to stick to the terminology that we use in uh, ICS. So that's been working out really well, actually. I really liked the image of a table, of the idea that in this large play space, there are these tables, which is what we're used to, and that you could walk up to a table and join a conversation. So one of the mm -hmm. things that I find the most disappointing about Microsoft Teams is some of their terminology because they call the application Teams and they call the individual projects that you set up within Teams a team. And yeah. so, you know, which are we talking about? Are we talking about Microsoft Teams? Or are we talking about a discrete team within the software? I wish they'd have called them projects or just anything else. They could have called them a banana for all I care, as long as it was something other than a team. Yeah, it's. but we have to remember that Microsoft Teams, the, they did not design this to be used the way we are using it. So we are using a tool in a completely different manner than they intended. They never considered using it as a command post. Uh, I have heard, and I don't know much about it, but I do believe that Microsoft Teams is actually now building something to be used as a command post, but the model that I saw was uh, very bare and simple and would not have met our needs. So for now, we're going to keep building it the way we have been because it's been working well well that is so often the the case with trying to communicate a process like ics to software designers years ago i i worked with a developer to build a, a 201 application and later uh, kind of in a reactive phase a piece of, of software and it was actually easier for me to learn to code than it was for them to learn ICS. So I think we're always right. going to be kind of, of uh, hacking and, and cobbling together the pieces that we need to make this system work. Right. And you know, right now we are we're getting by with it. It's not perfect. There are still features in there we would like to have that we don't have yet. But so far, we've been able to work around it. Um, it would be really nice if we could build in, like if you had a if you access teams on an iPad, for example, that the signature face was actually if you had one of those uh, iPads or computers with a touch screen that you could do the uh, the finger signature on there. You could actually draw your signature on a document. That'd be really nice if we could incorporate that. Um, another thing that I would like to, to do is the ability to have the subtitles do the translation. So kind of like when you're watching a, a foreign film that the subtitles are in English, it's automatic. But we do so many exercises that are international 
where not everybody is the the local language is not English. Like we we've done exercises in Europe and, and Dutch and Danish. We've done Brazil and Portuguese and the the language that the locals work in is of course their own native language. But then they go into meetings and we expect them to speak English, which is not always the easiest thing to do if that's not your primary working language. And it would be really nice to, instead of having to have translators available, have that artificial intelligence that can listen to what somebody is saying and then printing it out in a different language for those that don't speak that language. Well, sometimes cool. I'd like them to have subtitles just because I can't understand the way people speak English. <laughs> yeah, there's always that. So... So you've done a, a number of interesting things in setting up these these drills. One of the things that you did for my drill, which I thought was so great, is the way you tagged the participants. Can you describe for us the process of tagging and what the advantage of that is in Microsoft Teams? So the way tagging works in Teams is it's allowing you to group people um, so that you can address a group without having to type in every single individual name. And when you have groups like we had in the drill up in Prince William Sound, we had 400 participants. So it was really nice to be able to tag them. Uh, on the flip side, it, it takes a lot of time when you have 400 participants to decide who's gonna have what tag. And you can assign multiple tags to any one person. So using ICS, what we were doing is we were tagging them with the section they were in, if it was officer, command or whatever environmental planning and then we would do the sub the subgroups as well to a certain level we didn't want to do so many tags that we get down to these microscopic groups that has maybe two or three people in it because then it's self-defeating it's only two or three people i need to reach then i can just type their names in it goes just as fast but when you have a ops you know that could have had 100 people in it if i need to get a message to ops that everybody in ops needs to hear that I can just go, instead of saying at and listing all of their 100 names, I can just say at ops, and all 100 people with that tag will get the message. So it allows you for rapid communications without having to type so much. What about what I want to give an all-hands announcement? You demonstrated a process by which we could put out a really distinctive banner Right. Announcement that, like, hey, we've moved the tactics meeting from 1300 to 1400, or there's now a press conference scheduled for 1600, and it w went out in a way that was almost impossible to miss. That That's one of those little fun tools instead of teams. It's uh, instead of sending out a, a little chat message, you send out what they call an announcement. And you have the ability to customize it. You know, how large do you want to make the print? How bright do you want to make it? And uh, if it's something really, really urgent, you can then choose to publish it in every single channel. And you select which channel or table is going to hear the message that you're putting out. So if you're putting out something that everybody who is in there needs to hear, then you select all of the channels. If you are putting out an announcement that only those people in planning need to hear, but you want all of the subsections like documentation and situation and so on, if you want them to hear it, then you would send it to planning because going back to the tagging concept, everybody gets their section assigned and then they get their 
their branches uh, assigned or this, their um, their units assigned. So if you were in the situation unit, you would be tagged with both planning and situation unit. So you can make the announcement as broad or as narrow as you want to make it, but that's up to you. But they are really nice and they're only effective if they're used sparingly. Uh, we don't want responders to use an announcement instead of just directing a regular chat or a text because after a while you're going to start ignoring them so we're trying to save the announcements for those really important things i keep telling people it's in the virtual command post think of the announcement as the same thing as in a physical command post if you would go up and grab the microphone and make an announcement in the entire command post that's when you use announcement in teams you don't do it for every single little thing just the really important stuff. You'd built a really effective sign-in process, and many people have done it for everybody to, to sign in, but you set it up for every time a person would sign in and sign out to create the record. How did you do that, and how effective was it during the Prince William Sound Drill? Well, everybody was really good about signing in. Uh, we we built uh, the the 211P. We actually used um, an Excel document, and uh, it was actually not me who built it. This uh, that particular feature was built by uh, ConocoPhillips IT people. But it is, um, you know, it's not as effective as in a physical command post where you are actually having to walk past somebody. And if you don't stop and get your badge, they're not going to let you into the command post. Um, I don't have the ability to to make it that you have to go there. So we did have to do a lot of reminders saying, if you haven't had a chance to sign in yet, please do so. But what we did was we put a tab in every single channel at the top of the page that was the sign-in list. So it wasn't like they had to leave where they were right now to go all the way back to the general room or what we refer to it as the lobby and sign in and then go all the way back to where they came from. They could just click on the tab and it was linked to a source document. So there's only one document and everybody could sign into the same one regardless of where they were in the incident command post. And uh, just like in uh, physical face-to-face -face exercises, at the end of the day, people don't log out. They don't necessarily scan out. They, they leave and they forget to get scanned out. And it was the same thing here. We, we you know, reminded them, please go and sign out. But there's no scanner at the door that just automatically records their departure when they walk past it. So it's, it was a, a good solution, but it's far from perfect. Well, it's neat that the IT folks were able to put that together. And I hadn't heard you refer to the general room as a lobby before. I like that. Yeah, that's it's. Uh, we've been calling it the lobby because that is where you hold or the, the big ballroom, if you want to compare it to when we set up command posts in hotels. But it's that big space where everybody congregates, where you come in and everybody meets up for the first time. So we usually hold all of our in briefs and things like that there, thinking of that as that big gathering room. And then we let them loose from there to go into, you know, go sit at their various tables where they're doing doing their work. We need to come up with a new name to call a, a team when we create a new team. I know I, I continue to call it that because that's what Microsoft calls it. Because And then when right. we're talking about the general channel, when you create a new team, 
within Microsoft Teams, you can't rename the general channel. Right? It's the one nope. channel that you have to have because it has to be created with at least one channel. They call that channel general by default. And every other channel that you create, you can go back in and edit and rename and, and work with, but not the general mm -hmm. channel. Right. There are other things that are quirky that I, they probably have a reason for it. I just don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, when you're in uh, any channel or you're sitting at a table and you want to have a conversation or a, what they call a meeting, you start that meeting. And one of the things you can do is rename it. So we always ask people to rename the meeting what the topic of conversation is going to be. So that when you can have multiple meetings inside uh, any given channel or at, just like you have multiple conversations going around a table and you want to know which conversation is it that I'm looking for, you need to be able to read the names so you see the topic so you don't have to go into every single conversation and listen in and figure out that's the one that you needed. However, if you lock a channel, like we would initially, we would lock the sensor, right, so we could... Uh, protect the data that we were storing in there so people weren't just going in and helping themselves to things that they shouldn't have yet. Nobody would do that. No, no, nobody would ever do that. But just in case they got that idea, then, so we, you know, initially we would lock the sim cell, but then we found that if you're in a locked channel, you can't name your meetings. So why not? I have no idea why you can't do that. So we just said it was more important to have the names on the meetings than it was to uh, lock the room for access so we don't lock the sim cell anymore we just that don't makes... upload we don't upload the truth that until it's needed so it you know that was the workaround well that makes sense you know the, the microsoft teams group the development group prior to covid were you know kind of the redheaded stepchildren off in the corner working on this little little business app right and all of a sudden they got thrown right into the center of the stage, right under the spotlight. And they have been doing a great job of scrambling. But the downside is that I'll, I'll be using it one day and the very next day I go to look for a button, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, you we've know? had that too. And they're pushing out updates. It seems like every 20 minutes, right? Microsoft yep. has a, a regular schedule of updates, which is the first Tuesday of every month, but not Teams. Teams, because of COVID, because of how many people are using it, because of the functionality that they need to bring to it, they push out updates all the time. And I'm, frankly, I can't keep up. No, I know. I get the email notices, critical notices from Microsoft. We're now not going to support this. Okay, is that something I need? Do I need to panic? No. Uh, but there's so many of those coming out, and my IT knowledge is just use it the best of my ability. If it doesn't work, I call somebody because I don't know how to fix it. But it is uh, that's been a problem for us, not a huge problem, but it's something that we always have to take into consideration for these exercises. We build we build training and we develop processes for the, the participants and how we want them to translate the ICS processes into this virtual world. And we've been doing things like screenshots and showing them this is the button you push or that's the function. And the next thing you know, you go in one morning and the button that used to be in the lower left is gone. And you have this panic like, oh, my God, they took that function away. No, they just relocated it. Now it's in the upper right. But that means all of your screenshots that you have are now out of date and need to be replaced. 
So we have been trying to do our training, our VICP functionality training, not ICS training, but VICP functionality and navigation training as close as we can to the exercises themselves to reduce the chances that Microsoft scrambles things on us between the training and the time that we conduct the exercise. So what has been your experience with conducting not uh, sideline meetings, but the official uh, planning process meetings within teams, the 201 briefing, the objectives meeting, the command and general staff meeting, and presenting the agenda and meeting ground rules, all the things that you would do if you were the planning section chief and you were running this meeting in, in person. Have you developed any processes that help us mirror our in-person participation? Yeah, that's actually, I think, the function that has translated the easiest to Microsoft Teams because it is just a meeting, which is what Teams was designed for in the first place. So that's one of those things we haven't really had to jerry-rig much. But what we usually do is we, we build a meeting room. So the formal planning meetings, we are encouraging players to conduct in the meeting room. So they go into the meeting room and there is already a meeting started for them that we have that named appropriately. So this is you know the tactics meeting. They go into the meeting labeled tactics meeting. They do all of their conversations in there. They can go on camera if their bandwidth allows for it. And they have all of their data right there. Whoever's presenting can share the screen so you can go through the forms, not a problem. The other thing that is nice is uh, when it comes to, you know, we always have to post the rules and the agenda and everything else. You can upload those files right there to tab and then link them to tabs. So it's very easy. You just click across the top. Here's the agenda. Here's the meeting rules. And the meeting rules, you only have to upload once because they're the same for every meeting. But then you can build tabs linking back to the source document. And you can have that tab in every single meeting if you want. So, so it's, you, it's quite simple. So individual users have to click on those tabs. Do I tell them, you know, click on the meeting agenda and follow along? Or or have you had well, you, people share their screen? We, we share the screen. Yeah. So whoever's presenting does the clicking and they share their screen so that all the people in the meeting can see it. But it makes it very nice and easy. It's the same, same thing as you would have a, the projection going up on the wall or something like that from the computer in, in a meeting. So whoever is presenting from, from uh, their computer can share their screen and they can see everything. But by having all of the meetings in one room, keeping it kind of tidy like that, it's, it's good for data collection as well because that means all the conversations and chats back and forth in any given meeting even when the meeting is closed, those chats are still there. So we have a record of the conversations. Uh, we do not record, Teams does allow you to record, but we do not normally record uh, meetings. If they want to record a meeting, they will have to get permission from everybody who is attending first. So they can't just say, we are going to record this and then make that announcement. They say, we would like to record this. Does anybody object? And if there are no objections, then they, they can go ahead and record it. Yeah, I recorded one meeting during the WISMIC worst case tabletop in, in May where I did exactly what you said. I 
told people that we would be recording this for for training and then mm -hmm. have only shared it very narrowly. But because we were exercising the Washington State Dispersion Approval process, uh, I thought it would be valuable to capture that meeting for for future training. Uh, right. Honestly, I haven't done anything with the file yet, though. But it's the, the key point there is that you made sure everybody knew that it was being recorded and also that nobody objected. Yeah, that, so, that's that's correct. Yeah. I'm sure if there was an actual incident and we wanted to record meetings, then legal would have input into that. And I would not even suggest recording a meeting without having a discussion with legal first about what the implications would be. Well, I think I'll talk to legal sometime here in the near future, just uh, ahead of time. Documentation is one of the things that has translated, I think, really well to the virtual command posts. It, it allows for, for sharing of documents. Uh, you joined me as the planning section chief for the Aleutian Falcon fire on day two, and our documentation unit uh, operated through Microsoft Teams. Have you done anything special to kind of set that document sharing process up within your designed virtual command posts? Uh, no, we haven't, because again, clients sometimes have their own way that they want to do things, and we have to we have to adjust to you know make sure we accommodate how they want to do it. But uh, we found that with the nice thing with Teams is that multiple people can be in a document and edit it at any given time. So it saves us time uh, because we don't have to route documents. And we have, of course, uh, had a few lessons learned on that whole process where, you know, first we were actually moving the document, but we found that it was much easier to have wherever the document was created, let's say environmental unit created a, a plan, then that document resides in the environmental unit until it has gone through all of the edits. Everybody who's going to approve it has looked through it and says, I'm good with it. Then they do a verbal Yes, we are all good with it. They can either put it on the cover page saying, I've reviewed, I'm good with it. When it's actually ready for signature, no more edits are needed. It's the only time the document gets moved. Then it gets moved from, in this case, the environmental unit to the documentation unit. And documentation unit uh, either, <clears throat> excuse me, has, has the systems for the signatures or if it's a client that is using uh, some IMT software, then the document gets uploaded to the IMT software where it can get signed with a digital signature. So initially we started routing the document and then we found out that players had a tendency to rename it. Like, oh, this is version one, this is version two. And they would perhaps edit version two when somebody else was working on version three. So we said, after one exercise, we said, don't do that. Don't move the document. Don't just tell people this is where it is. And there's only one version of the document ever. And that has worked much better. So those people who are clients of the response group who use the IEP software can use their built-in functionality to do signatures and approvals. Have you worked with any other 
systems for approvals. I, I am working right now on a, a small uh, event down in California where we are using Microsoft Teams to store and edit documents, but ultimately the signatures get done in, in DocuSign. So the document yep. comes out, it gets PDF, it gets uploaded to DocuSign. The documentation unit leader owns the document at that point. They're the ones who have access to the DocuSign account. They send it out to whoever is required to sign it. They get the completed signature back, and then it gets added back into Teams in its signed form. We're doing the same thing or something quite similar right. on the Golden Ray response down in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, you can, I mean, the simplest thing, so DocuSign is, again, something that you have to pay extra for, right? Just like right. Um, web, web IP software is something you have to pay extra for. Uh, we looked at uh, Adobe for signatures, but all of these things that allow you to do digital signatures have a cost associated with it. So if you are not free to take on additional expenses, and the the easiest thing that you could do then will be to have a cover page that everybody downloads that has to sign it. And they just take pen to ink and sign it. They print it, sign it, and scan it back in. And you will have three, say it takes three signatures, you would have three cover pages on top of your document with the signatures. That That's that's the low cost budget version of doing it, but it would require that the participants had the ability to download and print and then upload again. But we, we're trying to keep actual documents inside teams at all times so that they don't get downloaded and edited and then uploaded again, but do all of the work inside of teams. I can only imagine that this is a functionality that people have asked Microsoft for and that in a very short period of time, weeks or months, that we'll discover that there is a, a signature approval process or application built into yeah. Teams. I think this is going to be a problem that Microsoft is going to solve for us. Yeah, and uh, I was joking with my neighbors here on my street. They used to all work for Boeing. Now they all work for Microsoft. Um, I'm surrounded by Microsoft families. And I said, can't you put me in touch with somebody on Microsoft? Hold on, we lost teams. you. I said, um, I want my neighbors to introduce me to the Microsoft Teams people so that I can just sit down and have a meeting and say, can you build me these things? I really need it. That would be nice. Yeah, my sister who teaches school for the Kent School District in Washington, she's working on a version of Teams that's specifically written for education. And I got to sit down with her and look at some of the functionality that they had. And it's like, hey, how come I don't have that? That works. That's great. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's kind of strange that they have different versions for it. Then maybe they can get one for uh, incident management. Started, and I, I haven't kept up with how that was developing, but I think they're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of functions that are saying, "Oh, can you build me something for this purpose?" You know, everybody wants purpose-built products. That's that's but, right. Now for the Prince William Sound exercise, it was actually a hybrid in that serves was face-to-face -face in the command post in Valdez and worked that way for, 
for the first few hours and then kind of join teams, what were the advantages or disadvantages or lessons learned from that interaction? Uh, it was even more complicated than that, actually, because CERS also had people remote. So they had people up in Fairbanks as well. So we had, it wasn't that the beginning part was all physical. Um, even they were right from the beginning. Some people congregated it. We had what we called pods, pods of people. That's not a Microsoft Teams word. That's, that's our word. But we had a group of people in Serbs and Valdez. Then, then we had people up in Fairbanks. We had people in Anchorage that were all supporting the initial response. In addition to the people that got called in that were down in Houston and uh, elsewhere in the United States. The key to making that work, and it is, it is very challenging. First of all, you have got to have controllers Physical controllers, if you have a physical space where people are face-to-face, -face, you have to have somebody who's on your side, uh, from the control uh, side, to uh, that you can just call in a panic and say, I haven't seen anybody in front of a microphone for an hour. Where are they? Are they still playing? And they can go round them up and bring them back uh, in front of a microphone so you can actually hear what they're saying. They are, they are very good at what they do. And when you let them loose to do a response, they're going to go do the response. And they forget about the people that are online. So you need somebody there to crowd them back in to make sure that they actually stay in the vicinity of the microphone so we can reach them. The key to making these hybrid events work is to keep the people that are face-to-face -face still logged on into Teams so that they can actively engage with the people that are virtual. Um, it can't be that the face-to-face -face people run the entire response and on occasion brief the people that are online. You have to maintain that relationship of sitting around the table. So if you have three people or four people that are in operations and they're face-to-face, -face, they need to sit down around a physical table with a computer in the middle where the virtual operation staff has joined in and they are still in a virtual meeting. You know, I taught a class that kind of ended up working out that way. At first, they thought they were going to all sit in the same uh, training room and look at the virtual presentation on the screen and have the sound come out one speaker and all speak through one microphone. And it really wasn't working. And I just had them all bring their laptops into the training room and log in and mute their mics and it worked great and now everybody's on screen so i think this is one of the big takeaways from these virtual events is that even when you walk into the command post you have to plan to be on camera you have to log into teams you have to join the meeting you might be able to go into a conference room to join the meeting where it's all being taken care of for you on a, a system, a, a conferencing system built into the room, but it, it may not be. And when right. you bring that computer, you need to bring your headphones. Yes. Headphones absolutely. are part of the kit now. You just put them in your briefcase and Bluetooth headphones are great, but they run out of charge. So yeah. I have kind of tucked in pockets all over the place. You know, the original Apple headphones that, you know, came with various phones and iPads and, and whatnot. They're just kind of everywhere. And, and the, the nice thing is that you're, 
if you have the headphones that are physically connected to your laptop, that means you're never going to go very far from your laptop because you're actually chained. You're actually chained to it. So yes, it's, that's exactly it. Headphones with a microphone built in and cabled to your laptop, you pick up and you go that, that way you can walk around and still be a part of the conversation. You're not actually walking away from the table. You are right there. And, and that that's what we've been recommending that people do now that that's a problem when you're in a place like the the um the vioc in valdez because they don't have laptops they have desktops so they're not portable so if they're going to be logged in they need to be logged in and sitting at their desk they can't get up and move around and they wanted to get up and move around and congregate with their kind and work because they couldn't take their laptops with them. So that was the problem. Ideally, everybody has a laptop and a headset, and that way they can go anywhere. But even now, as we record this podcast, you're on your phone. Yes. Right? We're doing this in Zoom, a video meeting, even though the podcast is released as audio only, and you're on your phone. And the Microsoft Teams app for Apple phone for Android is really good. And the tablet app is really good. And that's true for the mobile apps for Zoom and WebEx and go to training, go go to meeting. So a key there is download the app before you go to the drill. Download the app and test it. And you have to have good Wi-Fi then. If ever, nobody can be on a hard connection, then oh. you're going to have to support the Wi-Fi. And if you don't have that, then you have an issue again. So the the, the issues that come up, I always feel like as we're building this, it, especially in the beginning, I felt like we would take one step forward and then three step backwards. <laughs> and it's like, okay, new problem. What's the solution to this one? So I really felt like initially we were doing the Band-Aid approach. It's like, oh, uh, sprung a leak there, slap a Band-Aid on it. Okay, what's holding? What's working? But it is it is getting better. And if you're in an area where you have good cell phone connection on your cell phone, then you don't have an issue. You can work through the app on your phone. Right. And, you know, if you're having trouble with the Wi-Fi and the command post and you're doing this on your phone, go into settings and turn Wi-Fi off so that you end up using the data that is on the phone. But if you're working from home, we also have some things that we need to consider. And our internet connection is one of them. I upgraded at the beginning of COVID to a Comcast business connection specifically for the upload speed. Mm-hmm. I don't care how fast your download speed is when you're getting your you know fiber connection. It's important that you have good download speeds and consumer internet is based on that. I want to be able to watch my Netflix movie. I want to watch my crazy cat videos on YouTube. But when I'm on camera at home, my upload speed is important Uh, you know if i go over to my mom's house her upload speed is like three megabits per second that's not good enough five megabits per second is the bare minimum for for uploading video 
10 is usable. I have 20 and that allows me to really be rock solid. It costs a little money, but that is the cost of doing business remotely from your home. You can't work off of the cheapest bottom basement internet and expect to join these meetings. So headphones, nope. a decent internet connection. I've got two 32 inch monitors plus a television that I can Wi-Fi up to. So three monitors. Let's see your rig. Oh yeah. Nice. There it is. I have five during exercises. I have two large screens, my laptop in the middle, my iPad on one side and my phone on the other. I'm on five different screens and I find myself wishing I had more. Yep. But I'm just like, I'm done now. There's only so much room on my desk. Yeah. And when I'm presenting, if I'm teaching something in this way, what I do is take my iPad and I log into the event as a student so that I see the view that they're getting so that I know that if I am not presenting correctly, if the video didn't play, if the yeah. PowerPoint's not, that I see what's wrong. In um, in the broadcast world, they call that a confidence monitor. I'm confident that what I'm putting out is what I intend yeah. to put out. Yeah, I call it my quality checker. I just yeah. in that I find that doing it that way, I also don't have to say, okay, tell me if you can see this. Are you seeing the right screen? Because I'm looking at what I'm presenting so I can see what's coming up. That's exactly right. Yep. What do you think the future of virtual command posts is going to be? I mean, I think you're well aware of my opinion, but what what do you think we're going to see going forward after COVID is completely gone? Wow. Um, looking forward to that day. Um, I think that we, I think virtual command posts are here to stay because we're finding that there are actually some benefits from it um, that, we had wanted to explore before, but people were not quite keen on going there because they were afraid that we would then go, oh, well, we're not going to show up to a spill in your state because it's expensive to travel there. We're just going to go virtual in your state. We, we don't want to do that. And we don't think that 100% virtual is better than a physical you know, a physical command post. If you have to go one or the other, 100% virtual or 100% physical, in you know face to face, we will we would choose the face to face because that interaction with human beings is much more effective when you can see each other. However, that slows things down too because you add all the travel time. So doing a hybrid of the two is I think the way we're gonna see it happening in the future in that you take whatever resources you have locally, you get them going, but you can set up a virtual command post quite quickly bring people in and have them support remotely while you're also deploying additional resources to the physical command post to support. But that, that way they're overlapping. So we can compress the, um, the stem of the P. You know, we can get more resources to the, to the IMT faster using, using this hybrid model now will the people that are online stay online for the duration of the response maybe not maybe once we get everything built up face to face there'll be less and less virtual participation I, I i don't know i think we'll find that maybe there are some things that we prefer to have uh, virtually because they could be more effective 
I'm thinking um, some of the things we've talked about is um, legal and finance and naval architects, for example, do they actually need to be in the command post or are they more effective if they're allowed to work from their home base where they have all of the resources that they would normally use and not have to pack it all up and travel with it? So there are some that actually lend themselves to be in a virtual world the entire time and maybe even be more effective that way. If they're more effective, that remains to be seen. We've actually never tested it, but they're just thoughts that we're having that it could be actually easier for them, especially the naval architects who have all the, the blueprints and everything that they roll out. Then they don't have to travel with any of that. They just have it right there. Yeah, I, I think that some positions, even within a particular section, will be face-to-face while support personnel for those sections, you know, the people who are on the phone calling hotels, looking for hotel rooms, they don't need to be in the mm-hmm. command post. You know, yeah, uh, you know, they, they be... take up, they use up local resources doing so because that means they're in a hotel room they could have been given to somebody else. So if you have a shortage of uh, logistics, for example, hotel rooms or whatever, if you're going into a small community where there's only so many people you can put in that community before it's overloaded, then it's a really nice opportunity or an option to say, okay, well, these people don't actually need to go there. They can work from their base offices. And then you reduce the the strain on the community that's already been impacted by the spill. You're not adding insult to injury. Well, then they don't have a rental car, which means they don't need a parking place. And then they don't need a lunch. And they don't, you know, it cascades out. We just don't need all those people who are are present. And during the Aleutian Falcon fire, we had our resource unit tracking resources remotely. Our common operating picture was done remotely. Our documents were saved into teams. Even though we had a face-to-face unified command, we had a operation section chief in person, a planning section chief in in person. We had- For a while. For a while. So because I ended up being remote after just what, two days there? I took all of it remote and it worked just fine. So there you go. So, so yeah, pretty simple. Yeah. So any th- final thoughts before we close out? No, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how teams evolves and, you know, who's to say that all of a sudden some of the other platforms that we already know about, maybe new ones will come out that'll offer us even better uh, opportunities than teams is doing. Maybe at some point we will switch over. I wouldn't, say that we're always going to be on teams i could see that maybe we would switch at some point to something else if it's better i did a drill yesterday where interestingly the client used both teams and zoom they used zoom for the human interaction and they used teams simply for the document portion of it so it, it only had uh one channel and in that channel in the file section a bunch of different folders for saving documents in that. And they did it because there were a number of participants who couldn't log into Teams, couldn't get access to Teams. A lot of people with with government email addresses like the Coast Guard have a very difficult time, impossible for them using their Mm -hmm. work email address to get in. And so they end up using a Google email address or, or something like that 
and but they don't have trouble getting into Zoom. So they they did that, and Zoom has fixed its breakout room functionality in such a way that it wasn't a bad choice. I was really skeptical at the beginning, but it actually worked pretty well. And you're right, something else is likely to come along in the next six months to give Teams a run for its money. Yep, and right now I, I know that there's been lawsuits against Zoom for the security issues that they were having. So it hasn't been, not all of those issues have been fixed yet, but that's something we'll continue to monitor. You know, if it's, it has to be safe and secure. You know, the data has to be protected. So that's going to be a very big part of the consideration whenever we're looking at platforms. You know, the data security is key. Well, it's unfortunate for Zoom because they 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 actually, I think, got a, kind of an unfair rap in that Zoom was originally built to be an enterprise piece of software, but they intended it to be deployed by company IT professionals who would go in and set up the security, you know, checking boxes to say, turn this on, turn this on, turn this on. So when you first downloaded the application, all those things were turned off. It was completely open because mm -hmm. they were leaving a blank palette for IT to go in and configure it for their system. And civilian users weren't prepared for that. And they right. didn't really com communicate that. Did Was the system capable of being secure? Absolutely. What Zoom's then, Zoom then did was go in and turn all the things on by default so that IT departments could go back in and turn them off if they didn't want to use them. That was the, they didn't have to do much, but unfortunately, it gave them a black eye that they're having a very hard time recovering from. Yes, they are. Well, Agnita Dahl from NJ Resources, my good friend, and the person you should call if you need someone to set up your virtual command post for a drill exercise or for that matter, for a real event. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have an email address that you can share if people want to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, my uh, email address is a doll. My, my first initials are last name. So it's Alpha Delta Alpha Hotel Lima uh, at njr.net. And that's njr is November Romeo Juliet.net. No, November Juliet Romeo. Uh, sorry. No, it's Friday afternoon. It is Friday out. afternoon. <laughs> it's almost five o'clock, so you know what that means. There should be a bell that gets rung, I think. Yes, that would be a nice thing. So, yeah, but I'd love to hear from people if they need any help with the training or exercises, contingency planning, all of those things that we do. Great. Thank you, Agnita. All right. Thank you, Dan. Have a good weekend. Thank you for joining us for the tactics meeting. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on the program, you can email us. The address is podcast at the tactics meeting dot online.